Hi everyone and welcome to Be True, my podcast about the writing I love and the writing I do. I promise I won't rhyme the whole time. Thank you, Harvey Firestein, a reference for the young folk. I'm John Tessitore and today, Harmony, a poem from my brand new book, The Americans. You can find it and all my work at johntessitore.com. Harmony is the concluding poem of The Americans and the least characteristic but it's also the best summation. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know that The Americans is a book of vignettes and story poems, a literary companion and update of Robert Frank's 1958 photo book, also called The Americans. But unlike other poems in that book, which are either concrete scenes or monologues, Harmony is conceptual, lyrical, and it is the only poem dedicated to a specific person, someone I used to work with and whom I consider a hero, Jessie Little Doe Baird, vice chairwoman of the Mashpee Wampanoags. You know the Wampanoags. They're the Native Americans of southeastern Massachusetts, the indigenous people of Plymouth, the saviors of the pilgrims. You know, those people. (laughs) Fittingly, the Americans also begins with a Wampanoag poem, but that's a story for a later time. Jessie Little Doe is a truly extraordinary person, and I was privileged to work with her on some national language policy work a few years ago. The federal government actually passed a few pieces of legislation based on our work together. But long before I met her, starting in 1993, Jessie's life's work has been to reclaim Wampanoag, the spoken language of the Wampanoags, a language that was on the brink of extinction when she compiled its first dictionary, 10,000 words in the first three years. I won't speak for her. Look her up on YouTube. Let her tell you what the recovery of that language has meant to her people. But she won a MacArthur Genius Award for that work and has an honorary doctorate from Yale, and I don't think it's anywhere near enough. Harmony for Little Doe. To speak as the hawk speaks, seldom, but with purpose. To leave space in silence for other voices, cries of the dead and signals of the living, to each its own tone. To be heard with 10,000 talking at once and to be known by a singular sound, a keening from the crown of white pine, a call from an eerie, to strike with love. Eleison. Ileisan. I know, I know. A poem dedicated to a Native American hero ends with a Greek word. So fucking typical. However, Ileisan, have mercy. In the Psalms, it's a cry to God. In the New Testament, it's a cry to Jesus. In this poem, and as the concluding word of the Americans, it's a cry for our own renewal. Once I say that, that it's a cry for renewal, I also reveal the thing that nags at me about this poem, the potential problem, the romanticization of nature and even worse, of indigenous peoples, especially following my dedication to Jesse. The danger is that the dedication associates some kind of natural idol, I-D-Y-L-L, idol, (laughs) with Native American life, with birds and trees and natural renewal. That's a dangerous, slippery slope. It can be reductive 
and feel a little like an easy bourgeois expression of white guilt, or worse, new age projection. So gross. However, it's a risk I've taken because the dedication to Jesse is important to me and because it came later. What came first was science. Bear with me. As I was writing this poem, I was reading something, somewhere, I don't remember what, I'm getting old, but I came across a fascinating idea, drawn from scientific research, that made immediate sense to me. It turns out that birds in the forest will change their calls and songs in forest settings to differentiate their songs from the calls and songs of other species. Think about it. Of course they do. They fit their songs into the music of the forest so that they can be heard by changing pitches and signals to avoid sound competition, to avoid static. They sing to be heard by other birds of their kind, no matter what all the other birds are chattering about. And it turns out there's plenty of room in the acoustic landscape to accommodate every song. And the songs of insects, too. So they change their tune just a bit to break through. Now that blew my mind. As a person interested in language and music, that got me. As I said, it makes perfect sense, but I'd never given it a thought. Of course they do. They sing at different times and levels and pitches, like instruments in an orchestra. This is the kind of thing that gives me a profound sense of hope. There it is. The natural world is, or can be, quite literally, a place of harmony. Of every voice finding its proper pitch and being heard. In fact, from this perspective, evolution more generally creates a kind of harmony, a slotting of characteristics of all kinds. It's more obvious in other ways. One fish is a bottom feeder, one fish feeds in the middle, one fish darts to the surface. But I've never thought of it in literal application, in language and song. Harmony. How beautifully democratic. What an extraordinary image. Every bird has its say. I'm sure I'm still romanticizing nature a bit here. I'm sure there are biologists ready to pounce about teleological thinking and anthropomorphism or challenges to the theory like bird mimicry or fucking parrots. But I'm a poet, damn it. And there's some research behind this, and so the image stands. And because I'm a writer, and because I'm a poet, and because I was working on a language policy project with none other than Jesse Little Dobert, this news lit me on fire. To be heard with 10,000 talking at once and to be known by a singular sound. Now we know that this does not happen for human populations. We know that institutions, corporations, governments, religions shout louder than individual people. And we know that too much gets lost in the process. But we also know that it remains the ideal. One person, one vote, one person, one voice. And it's why the multiplicity of languages and poetries and songs and voices is worth fighting for. It's the only way we all survive and thrive, with our voices heard. And it's an ideal that only exists in a state of harmony, metaphorical and literal, however uneasy that harmony may be to achieve. So when I was looking for a last poem for the Americans, a poem to conclude a book intended to represent a country that wants to embrace everyone, 
that tries and no doubt fails to reflect the variety of stories that make up American life in this particular historical moment. No doubt fails, but at least we're trying. I remembered the birds and my friend Jesse and Harmony. I was not thinking of the nobility of indigenous communities or of my guilt as a white guy. I was thinking about birds in the trees and bioacoustics and the literal sound of the voices in the forest and of Jesse restoring the voices of her people and how we can learn something from all of it. Eleison, have mercy. Have mercy in English, in Wampanoag, in Greek. Have mercy. And so, in the hope that you find your own voice in the forest, this is John Tessitore concluding another installment of Be True. If you've listened this long, thank you. You can find more about my brand new book of poems and images, The Americans, at johntessitore.com. But first, check out the work of Jessie Little Doe Baird. She's on the Google. And then, learn a new language. You don't even need a reason. I'm still working on French. 35 friggin' years later. Special thanks uh, to me for today's theme music, which I call G-Chord. Maybe we'll talk again, and if you enjoy this little podcast, leave some stars or a review and tell your friends. In the meantime, I gotta feed the dog. All right, Luna, I'm coming. Was that Harvey Firestein? Was that Peter Laurie? I don't know.